Uh, all right. Well, uh, welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? And today, my guest is Alex Noll. No, that's right. Okay. And uh, you might notice a Montrealian ask, accent. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, no, that's not. I'm not a... Native? I'm probably, yeah, I'm not a Montreal uh, native. I am from Newfoundland, which I don't know how familiar you, familiar you are with Canadian geography, but it's far to the east. It's an island off of the uh, east coast in the Atlantic. Did you say geometry? Geography. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, my I think my sister's married to a gentleman from uh, somewhere obscure in Canada, but to me, just I, I will I don't know I know I know you live in Montreal, so that's why I assumed that that's what it was from. How's your do you how's your French? My French is very minimal, actually. I've only been here for a couple of years, so most of my French has. Uh, developed in that time um, but my competency in French is super low like very basic I'm yeah. learning though you're learning yeah okay it's it's a slow you know move forward I go to an Anglo university and I'm surrounded by Anglophones in my day-to-day -day, so I'm picking it up very slowly it's not like an immersive like experience uh, in terms of French culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, Anglophone, what's that word mean? I, I'm not familiar. Like uh, English speaking, English as okay. your, your mother tongue. Okay. So what's Newfoundland like? Um, it's an island. So it has that in common with Montreal, I guess. Okay, I didn't even know that. I my uh, my Canadian geometry is not very good. No, <laughs> neither is mine. My geometry in general is not very good. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, it's where I, I grew up. It's where I was raised and, and born, and I spend most of my life there um, mm -hmm. until recent years really I've had I've done a couple of stints in other provinces like I lived briefly in northern Alberta for about six months I lived briefly in uh, Nova Scotia and Halifax which is close in proximity to Newfoundland on the east coast mm -hmm. um, but for the most part Newfoundland born and raised um, and I've lived all across the island I did my first two university degrees there um and it's, yeah, it's my home. It's where all my family are. Um, but it's a very unforgiving place, I would say, to live. Okay. In terms of weather or social or both? Yeah. In terms of all of those things, okay. like Newfoundland was perceived for a long time as a have-not province until the oil boom. Uh, and since the oil market crash, um, we've kind of gone back into this state of austerity. You see a lot of uh, cuts over the last few years to public services. It's becoming like increasingly harder to make a go of it there. Um, so they, I was, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm lost because the oil market crash, when was that? I, I'm not even that well, like, because obviously since it's not part of my economic life. Right. 
Well, in recent years, like the stocks of the oil stocks have crashed, like have like the price per barrel has gone down significantly. Um, that is like the main the mainstay of the uh, Newfoundland and Labrador economy. Um, and uh, so when the oil market crashed, um, the province lost a lot of revenue. Um, and so we've seen, you know, the, I guess, manifestations of that in terms of uh, cuts to public services, of course, like healthcare mm-hmm. and education. And I really saw it when I was a post-secondary student there and tuition fees were, um, you know, every year it was a fight to a fight against the, the university administration who wanted to increase tuition fees and have successfully done so um, a number of years in a row now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Newfoundland is like known for, I guess, these sort of economic struggles as well. Um, uh, sort of in the like early colonial period in Newfoundland up until the 90s, the fishery was, uh, you know, a like huge part of the, the provincial economy. Um, and then the, the cod stocks dropped and there was an, a moratorium on the fishery. And so a lot of outport communities in Newfoundland lost, um, you know, virtually all of the jobs that were available to some of those outport regions. Um, and that's, we're still experiencing the, you know, social and economic impacts of that, you know, 30 years later. So yeah, it's a really hard place to live. And most people of my generation, you know, have had to leave to, um, you know, find a life somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, myself being one of those people. Um, ended up in Montreal. I ended up in Montreal, but I also did like a lot of young Newfoundlanders, do um and i went to alberta which is uh yeah the another you know oil-based economy oh okay um yeah so it's where the the canadian oil sands are um and so a lot of like young people without uh post-secondary education or with some experience in the trades go there to find good paying jobs uh-huh. Um, so, you know, there's a huge, like the Newfoundland economy is largely based in this sort of rotational work. People fly to Alberta and work for a few weeks in the camps and then they come home for a few weeks and so on and so forth, back and forth. Um, so it's, it's migrant labor essentially. Essentially within yeah. the, the borders of, yeah, yeah. you know, isn't Canada. that funny? when there's no borders it's all right yeah Uh, right (laughs) what's it called hold on i'm getting used to all this video stuff so forgive me your video is just so much better than mine right now better framed um so that's fascinating the the, uh, because we don't necessarily hear stories like that actually even in the u.s really you know uh but but we just think of this like canadian fairyland where so is there is there is neoliberal politic uh a thing there yeah absolutely and you know i think the majority of canadians have this like certain smugness too like we're so better than 
you know, Americans and, um, yeah. And it's just like a total crock of shit. Like we have, you know, so many social issues here. Um, and we're, you know, we're on colonized land, just like the United States. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a mirage here. I think a lot of Canadians, especially, you know, white settler Canadians live in a sort of fantasy world, like life here so much better than in the United States, but it's not the case. It's just, I think, uh, better, better packaged in some ways. Well, you only send us your funniest people. They're not sending the best. (laughs) They're sending their funniest, you know, like Norm Macdonald, Tom Green, uh, Mike Myers. Like historically, you guys are like bringing us the goods. So that's kind of how we see you guys too, you know. And then you have... Yeah, Alex Trebek. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know he was uh, from there, but um, that's crazy. Yeah, I was thinking about it a lot. Um, Just the idea of how difficult it is. I I, I was trying to understand why I uh, watched or like, I found a new true crime person, which is this like, I think she's Scottish. I, I'm, I don't know British accents that well, but she just sits down and, and does like internet researched uh, YouTube videos about true crime. And it's really like, she's really uh, diplomatic. First of all, she has like a good disclaimer, but I was just thinking about, like, I mean, I'm getting sidetracked. I was basically just thinking about how, why I'm still fascinated, you know, and like seeking out other uh stories other than like my my first introduction podcast which was uh so like and i think that part of it is just like trying to understand fucked up human brains to sort of understand what's happening on a class level where like people are so you know like the idea that people are sociopaths that are ceos and then that's like a good idea or like, you know, I don't know. It, 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 and I feel like what you kind of brought up a point about like white people on land where it's like, yeah, it's, it's a nice, uh, it, it's really difficult to sort of just take that shit on, you know? And I realize that I just have a black heart that can like, that just kind of is obsessed with like processing that feeling and like looking at it instead of like, Oh, <laughs> cringing away. And it, it's done great for my career, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, like I really, it's amazing just how, you know, like someone like Ajit Pai, you know, who, you know who that is? Uh, no, for, oh, Ajit Pai is the guy that uh, I think twice now has uh, killed net neutrality and like done it with a big grin on his face. And like for, on behalf of Verizon, it's, to me, that is mind blowing, you know, that level of like, just uh, like, just, like, how you, you know, I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> and, and then, but then there's like this subservient level to it where you're also like, you know, yeah, you're wealthy and you're in this class, but then like now your friends are like, well, first of all, if you're really wealthy, now you're Ellen and your friend is George W. Bush, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that level of class solidarity. And like, even people like, uh, I don't know, man, I feel like once you enter that class, like people like AOC who are like uh, the woke left's 
um, answer. And I think a lot of people are still attached to this idea that they're, you know, they like just apologize for people that are clearly co-opted at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know if you know about the CARES Act. Are you familiar with what, what happened over here? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So over here, they basically just gave away everything. It was like the largest transfer of wealth upwards. And now mm-hmm. she's like been posting and, and pretending like um, like it wasn't Nancy Pelosi and them and every single one voted for it with no contest. Like and they mm-hmm. like now she's like, oh, that was a horrible thing. And the Republicans did. And I'm like, nah, fuck you. <laughs> so, yeah, you guys so, are in it together, you know? Yeah. Like the Dems and the Republicans. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it must be exhausting to watch from outside, too. Yeah, it is. And, you know, these people like AOC are also like martyrized in Canada as being like the, you know, bastions of progressive politics. And I I find it also just like incredibly nauseating because these same people uh, would not like hold up like someone like, you know, Justin Trudeau, our, our prime minister who, you know, preaches like these sort of like liberal politics and like, you know, these people will be like quite critical critical of our own government, but then when we look at American politics, don't have like the same level of analysis, or like the analysis just goes out through the window. I don't really understand yeah. what happens there, but there's like a completely different uh, perspective on American politics from like the the Canadian like progressive quote unquote left. Really. Yeah. And you guys, do, do you do you feel like you guys have a left? Because I feel like we just have two right wing parties. Obviously, I, I don't think that that's like a revolutionary thought. I mean, I'm sure you yeah. agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've got like we've got the right and we've got the center. So it's it's not really I don't think that we have like not in terms of uh, like the political establishment um, and even like uh, in terms of like the sort of on a, on the ground activism that happens sometimes i i feel so, sort of hopeless when i see what's going on out there or even you know participate in certain things because like i feel like there's this huge kind of um what's the word i'm looking for i don't know um like it's it's sort of what what's happening in terms of activism is sort of toothless in a way because there are no real demands often there's lots of you know marches and protests and uh public yeah. exhibitions of dissent um but there's no real targeted demands and i feel like it's it's just like what's happening is sometimes disorganized and not effective and yeah. I could I could go on at length about that and <laughs> oh, that's I, fine. I, I, can I, I, I do my own like sort of like you know trap of like being just poisoned by cynicism and I try to avoid that as much as possible and no yeah. I, 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 I understand that and empathize with that where I, I there was a point where I was getting so angry at people that were getting angry at Trump supporters and mm-hmm. then I realized I was caught in the like same trap of like you know I, but it's like at, to a certain degree like it's just this like 
they're like, they're so hateful. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't hear yourself, <laughs> you know? And then that would make me fucking furious because especially as the election was coming up now, I mean, the reality of Biden has set in and we're all happy, right? Everything's good. <laughs> and I mean, it, it, it like right now at work, uh, here's how we are where I'm actually angry at somebody at work for getting sick and like quarantining two of our people. And then like now we have to cover. So my holidays are like all just work. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, but like, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. Right. Like if we had government assistance, we wouldn't, what, what did they do for you guys when the lockdown happened? Well, it's sort of been all over the place and each province has also rolled out their own specific plan. So it's been different um, in terms of like the regional response. Um, mm -hmm. I'm in Quebec, which has the most cases of COVID-19. Um, it was the province that was initially hit hardest, the fastest um, when the virus came to Canada um, and it hit the long-term care homes, especially bad. So okay. I think we have around uh, 350,000 cases across the country in total. Um, about a third of those are in Quebec, which, you know, does not contain a third of the population. It's like a very, yeah. a very high um, percentage of people in Quebec that have gotten uh, COVID-19 and then about half of the total deaths across the country have also been in Quebec and mostly concentrated again in those long-term care homes. Um, so initially, you know, the, the response here was quite swift. Um, and I was like, sort of like at first I would say impressed by the conservative government's um, response, which I thought was rather mm. progressive and effective to like, you know, shut things down. Um, and did you guys get a financial assistance? We also got financial assistance from the federal government. So um, everyone could uh, from, I think, April or March, March until September, everyone was able to receive $2,000 a month Canadian for uh, assistance if they had lost work uh, through COVID-19. But that doesn't include, I mean, that was not... So you, you guys did unemployment? What's that? Route. You guys went the unemployment route. Like if you didn't have a job before, you didn't get anything? Uh, sort of. So there was a couple different programs. So okay. uh, like the like sort of central like CERB program, um, the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit is what it was called. Um, that $2,000 a month was earmarked for people who had lost work due to COVID-19, but that was like left very open and sort of vague in terms of like what that meant. Um, but you'd had to have earned at least $5,000 either, uh, you know, since 2020, since January 1st, 2020, or in the last 12 months. Um, mm -hmm. So the threshold for earning was low, but it still left out a lot of um, people, especially students that were, you know, graduating or, you know, other people that were not working or had lost income. I mean, there was there was so many people that were, were left out of that. And um, there were other programs introduced, like there was a 
a program to uh, to assist uh, specifically students. Um, but I think the the support benefit for students was around twelve hundred dollars a month month, which is just like bizarre to me uh, because that's what we got once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. This I mean, is mind blowing to me. I think that like what the, I don't know, man. To he, when I hear that, all I think about is just like our people are telling us what they think of us, right? Like it, it, it it's it's uh, our leadership is telling us exactly what they think of us, what, what, what they think of all of our work, you know, like people have built lives and they're getting destroyed. It's one of the fucking craziest things that I've, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even that cynical, you know, like Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of fucking cynicism and it shows you who they are. It's really crazy. Everybody else is just going to be okay. And like people, like, have you seen the food lines out here? No. Oh, it, they're like miles long with cars, just like waiting for to 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 get food. I think in Texas is the ones that I saw. But yeah, before we get sidetracked too long, um, you do you have a topic? I thought we were just going to complain. So oh, that's fine too. We can keep doing that. Well, you <laughs> just did a thesis, so I don't know if you hate it so much that you don't want to talk about it. Or, I really, I really did hate it. I mean. Okay. COVID-19 presented its own challenges for doing research, <laughs> I think. And like my thesis was not, did not pan out as I had like originally conceptualized it. Like oh, I, needed okay. done. I needed to like move on with my life, but uh-huh. yeah, it's, 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 it's done. And I'm happy. I'm happy about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a thesis. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it was very like much the the true thesis experience in that regard. I think. The, well, the like what was there? What are your main areas of interest in in terms of like when you're researching? Like, what were you, or maybe even what did you hope to like it to be? What what would the ideal thesis have come out like? Yeah, I mean. You didn't get get to like access. Did it was it interviews that you couldn't do and things like that? Well, I, my thesis was done uh, sort of like in a silo, like I had no access to resources. Like I started writing my thesis in March when the pandemic hit and everything shut down. So basically it was like me alone in my, in my studio or or like at home, like working on my kitchen table because I didn't even Mm. have a, like an office, like a desk set up uh, until a few months ago. Um, and so like in that way, it was like very like insular and it's not my preferred way to do research. Like I, I prefer a much more like collaborative yeah. approach um, for, for research and teaching and learning and all of those things. But it wasn't really possible. Um, and I so it was it was it was difficult for me to 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 produce something under those constraints. But uh, my thesis work largely looks at like the sort of pedagogical value of making things, which I think mm-hmm. is relatively, you know, not acknowledged in art education, which is my field. Okay. Uh, yeah. So like the, 
the type of learning that happens through through making something through like artistic methods, um, mm. particularly you know material craft practices um, like hands-on practices, uh, as opposed to you know working with digital technologies, which is very popular um, right now and in the arts in general. Yeah, um, yeah. So really, and like back. expensive and resource uh, prohibitive. Yeah, but on the other hand, I mean, if you mention like new media technologies in a funding proposal, you're almost guaranteed some money, right? Like yeah. it's it's uh it's yeah, it's it's weird in that way. Um so uh, what art education for what age groups? So, I'm not my, my background is actually, I, like, I'm an art teacher by trade, like a high mm-hmm. school art teacher. Um, but my... Still currently? Presently? Not at the moment, but prior to, like... Going to grad school. Going to grad school. Um, prior to starting my, my master's work. And now I'm into my PhD in art education, but... Mm. Um, it's something that eventually I'll return to in some capacity, but I'm teaching online through the university right now. So I'm teaching undergraduate students um, via Zoom, which mm-hmm. I, like I mentioned before, uh, I have little competency in and poses a ton of pedagogical challenges for me as somebody who is, I consider myself a very like, embodied uh, educator if that makes sense like the the space and my proximity to people is like an very a very important part of the learning environment and so mm-hmm. zoom is like virtually upended all of that like I I, yeah. I have to like learn a completely different approach and like way to do this thing uh kind of like in the moment and as I go, like there was no, there was no opportunity for me to like trial things beforehand. Mm. It was like, I was thrown into it and I had to like figure it out. But honestly, the students that I've, I've worked with, like, you know, we're all hanging on by a thread. I acknowledge that they acknowledge that. And we've been like very kind to one another and it's made it so much better than mm-hmm. you know it would have been so much worse but i think we're all on the same page we're all you know students at some level of our education and we can kind of share that in terms of a it's like a, a shared experience that we have um and something that we can you know relate to each other through so that's yeah. been that's been good but i think i just went on a, a huge tangent here no no that's fine no that's interesting i mean because well that makes me wonder like what's what i mean i have no access to like that experience right now i'm in a pretty big bubble where the only people that i interact with are people with money to buy instruments Mm -hmm. and co-workers that have jobs right Mm -hmm. and and so like i mean that's actually what i'm doing as soon as we're done talking but uh the uh the you know, the, the idea of being a college student right now, like it seems kind of, uh, I don't know, like 
it's anxiety provoking enough to be in school and then to have no social elements. So like all you have is the anxiety and none, none of the like, you know, atmosphere of being in school and, and like thinking that you're going to fucking become a master of the universe. Like all of those fantasies are hard to do from your bedroom, you know, like that dreaming of like, Oh shit. Especially like while the world is dying outside, it must be a very strange time to be like, planning your future because essentially that's why you're going to school right like i mean in theory i mean i think one of the important aspects of like the university environment especially for you know students in the very formative part of their education is also like developing this like sense of community and like Mm. being with their peers like i think that's like a really crucial crucial part that is uh, kind of more or less absent right now. I know that yeah. people can still, you know, form relationships and make connections online, but it is certainly not the same as like a face-to-face interaction. Um, and so like, yeah, you know, I really feel for students that are like in their first year of university and this is how they are, you know, experiencing that it's a bit different from me I feel like I've been kind of as a graduate student we're kind of like I I felt anyway that I was sort of removed from the university community uh, Mm. already Um, there was sort of like this degree of of separation because there's this like level of independence to the work um, especially when you start writing your thesis but for students earlier on in their education, I, I really feel like there is this like fundamental part that is, you know, absent right now. And it's yeah. really unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, the mo- I, I, then I had a really depressing thought as I was like, oh yeah. And it doesn't prepare you for the real world. And I was like, oh, maybe it does. Cause the real world <laughs> is just zoom meetings. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I didn't mean to bum us out there. Uh, no, I'm always bummed out. It's all good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, what's, I don't know. It's hard not to be cynical right now. It's hard mm-hmm. not to, at least for, for if you're like an American like me. And uh, dude, at first it was the election that we needed to get past before they did anything. Now they're waiting until January and they're going on vacation. It's just, it breaks my heart. It's like if it's like a, a fucking rejection, you know, like you're you're being rejected by the people that like shit on you for not voting on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it's just it feels like too much. It's, it, you know, like. Uh, I don't know. The yeah. the you know and and like just the whole thing with with the the protests and how that was a big part of everything and now and, and like how quickly we went into election mode and that was just such a heartbreak for me like i just don't know how to process everything it 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 really is like uh one of those things where i'm like well i guess i'll just keep working trying to save up so that i don't get fucked <laughs> you know uh but yeah, it's overwhelming. I uh, I don't know what to say. That's happy, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I guess. So, like, what are things that you would like Americans to understand about Canada that, at least, like you know, uh, or or maybe 
French Canada or maybe, well, you haven't been there that long. Like just your Canadian experience, because I guess you can't speak for all of Canada, but like what maybe about your politics that we don't realize, things like that, or just like something about growing up, like what the favorite candy was. I don't know. (laughs) I'm keeping it broad. (laughs) You know, I really have always assumed that, uh, you know, Americans don't really understand or, or know anything or hear anything about what goes on up north and that seems to be relatively true yeah um i mean i think that you've got your own things to worry about honestly we got our hands full we got how many wars do you guys have what's that how many wars are you guys in Oh, I'm sure we're we're implicated in <laughs> many, you know, by proxy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I mean, Newfoundland. Newfoundland sorry, uh, Canada has you know also horrendous foreign policy in a lot of regards, and yeah. does horrendous things overseas, especially in terms of like resource extraction. And yeah, it's. Um, I think we, if anything, need to be the ones taking a harder look at what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, because like too often we fall into this trap, like I said earlier, like of this like sort of this, there is this like incredible smugness against like the liberal population that uh, we are doing so much better uh, than the Americans and, you know, like, thank God we're not them. And like, we have it so much better. And, uh, yeah, when it's just not the reality for so many people living here, especially black and indigenous peoples. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I see some of that pop up on your feed. Uh, it seems like a very complicated, uh thing to get into but um but it, you were you, you there was a thing about you you brought up fishing and there was a thing about uh that you posted about austerity and fishing so what's what's going on with that like was that you or maybe no that was me yeah i okay. mean i mentioned earlier that the economy in newfoundland was you know largely sustained through the fishery for um most of it's like colonial history up until, you know, the nineties ish, mm-hmm. uh, when there was uh, a moratorium placed on the, the cod fishery. Um, and so that had really devastating impacts for rural communities. So there's so much to explain when it comes to like contextualizing, like the mm-hmm. politics and the history of, of Newfoundland and Labrador, Um, but, um, it is an island with a huge rural population. There's a few small cities, if you can call them that, like the capital of Newfoundland is St. John's and it has about, you know, 75,000 people. And that is the largest like urban area by far. Um, the, the town where I grew up, which I think is like the third largest town in Newfoundland has about uh, 20,000 
populate 20, 23,000 people, I think. Yeah. In terms of its population. Mm. So, um, it's like very rural and the population is very, you know, dispersed throughout the Island. So there are a lot of small fishing communities that were, you know, hit very hard, uh, in the nineties through the moratorium, uh, and are still like suffering the economic consequences to this day. Mm. What's really interesting, I guess, um, in terms of, I guess, Newfoundland and Labrador, as it relates to my research interests and, and practice is the, the fixation on the sort of like cultural economies there. So mm. in the last few years, what we've been seeing is this huge push for rural revitalization through like the you know arts and culture and tourism sector which are all like lumped into this sort of the same ministry within the province so Mm -hmm. the minister responsible for tourism is also responsible for arts and culture and you can really see that in terms of like how public policy is implemented so in recent years there's been you know one of the the major uh i guess projects in recent years has been the fogo island inn which is in fogo island which is a tiny <laughs> again another island within the island <laughs> in mm-hmm. a way um and so essentially this canadian billionaire so-called philanthropist uh who's originally from the province um, set up this foundation to build the Fogel Island Inn, which was supposed to be an arts and cultural center. So it's a hotel, essentially. It's a luxury mm. hotel with a gallery. Um, and and uh, it's not, re- is it, it's, is it like bringing artists from, it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's not representative local culture kind of, it sounds like. Well, they, they sell, you know, local craft work in the end uh. so you can buy like a handmade quilt for two thousand dollars okay <laughs> um and you can and you know they have artist residencies attached to the end um it was a really major project that promised a lot to the community because this was one of these you know fishing communities um that had never recovered from the moratorium. So, you know, the idea was, oh, it's going to bring jobs. It's going to bolster arts and culture in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, and it's going to like put us on the, like, gonna, it's going to bring us into the international art circuit. And so these were all the promises. And of course, like that did not pan out it's it's a a luxury hotel where you pay fifteen hundred dollars a night to stay in a room a lot of the labor um is you know there's managers brought in from toronto and other big cities and like the good jobs that are associated with the end did not go to locals from the community like Mm -hmm. there are some locals working in the hotel but it's you know in the laundry facilities or dish dishwashing in the the uh the super fancy hotel restaurant Um, that's interesting because it sounds like they basically just were like yeah we're going to import some class into this place right like (laughs) literally 
like you know and it's kind of a that is sort of how those that world like sort of thinks of their altruism right you know uh i mean i don't know it's interesting to like wonder how much of it is just like blindness and how much of it is just evil and if it really matters obviously it doesn't but like just to sort of i don't know getting back into that like like uh, getting back into the thing of like uh why i'm interested in true crime it's sort of like those people we like to not think of them as human but that is a human right Mm -hmm. like that is whatever's happened to them that's within the capacity of like a born creature whether there's like uh head trauma that that you know like obviously things happen but like that is a version of human that becomes a fucking mass murderer Mm -hmm. right like that's within human capacity to become that uh not everybody like not everybody's going to grow up to be like that but that's like a defective human that comes out i mean that's a that's pretty horrible way of saying that but we're talking about serial killers uh but i think that like when you're dealing with class blindness, I think that like there is a learned sociopathy that you kind of have to, you know, like if everybody that was doing really well right now took the time to take on the actual politics other than the like corporate politics that's provided for them so that they can feel like, you know, they're for gay people, even though they're for war, and gay people probably die from war, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and like, they're like, I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking a lot about this thing about how when you let your government dehumanize other people, like you're really fucking yourself because then they start to, then you start to allow them to like, be like, well, obviously there's different kinds of human, right? <laughs> and there's like better humans and then there's the ones that we kill. And then now I feel like right now what we got is a lot of people are just like, and then there's the ones that it's okay if they starve to death and die of COVID, you know? <laughs> like it's really interesting how all of our uh, progressives went along with that. You know, mm-hmm. that really is like, you know, so so I think that that also ties into like my interest with cults, right? Because there's a belief mechanism. There has to be, even if it, it like, you know, the, the rationalization, like, you know, like, I don't know. I guess the idea of trying to empathize without like validating their, their point of view, but just sort of under trying to understand like, what the fuck? Like, you know, like, where are you coming from? you know, and it's, it's one of those things that I'm still working on. (laughs) But, but for me, I think that it's on that level, like to look at the horrors, you have to have some sort of like a morbid streak in you that makes you like, be able to look into this abyss and be like, I'm going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I don't know. Uh, it, it it it's it's uh it's pretty scary out here i like i i i'm pretty sure we're gonna lock down again soon sometime yeah yeah well i mean it, it's starting to uh, we're facing the you know this so-called second wave here now and things are 
locking down again. Um, up until I think today, there were certain like regions that did not even have like uh, a mandatory uh, mask rule implemented or anything yeah. like that for indoor spaces. And so, yeah, I, it is really scary. It's especially, I feel like so, you know, like kind of, you know, guilty about even complaining because I'm so secure. It's, it's kind of funny because being an academic is such a precarious lifestyle and I've like never had money and I've always been financially strapped and like worrying about like where things are like how I'm going to move things around and like make ends meet and everything and then on on one hand there's that but on the other hand like it's also like being in this like like world has protected me in this particular time because I've gotten yeah. home and I've gotten to work from home and I, I teach from home and um I, I'm very lucky in that regard um yeah because in any other circumstance like I would be working you know at a grocery store or yeah it's um it's dare I say it like a unprecedented <laughs> time <laughs> yeah uh, it, it's yeah it's it all, it leaves me speechless. Like I still, you know, every day when I wake up, I'm sort of, I'm in disbelief that this is, this is even happening. Yeah. Yeah. It is, uh, it's a crazy thing to like wake up and have a completely different reality. Uh, cause it's like years of conditioning too, right? Like, and expectations and stuff like that. And it's, uh, it, um, it's sort of like a complete restructuring of society in this weird way where, I mean, I can't imagine like, for example, someone that's not doing well are restaurant owners, people that have put their whole lives in, into a, like a work ethic that is like, you know, it's like the American dream. It's capitalist over here, just getting abandoned. It's so fucking heavy. I, I can't, I can't even like, I can't start to like process the empathy for everybody at, at the same time. Cause if I open those floodgates, like I'm going to fucking weep, but at the same time, it's just such a, you, you know, people have been talking about the precariat for a very long time. And it was always this concept of like, Oh, like maybe an industry will go, you know, and then those people are fucked or, uh, things become automated and algorithms and shit like that. And slowly we get squeezed out and then no, it's just like, we're going to lock shit down. We're not going to give anybody money. All their businesses are going to uh, crash and we're going to just come in and sweep up. We're going to, you know, give all the money, the bailout money to the rich so that they can fucking spend it. And now it's like, uh, every, every business is going to end up coming out of this as a monopoly. It's uh, it's really fun times guys. Yeah, I mean, you know. things that were always happening anyway, but like pushed to the extreme, you know? So yeah. it's like. Yeah. Hopefully, it, Etsy shops are going to become like really popular. <laughs> 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 People like trying to get something not homogenous and like corporate. 
yeah, here's my macaroni craft. Please, please buy it. I'm of a, of of some intellectual property of like you know Yoda, baby Yoda. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the new economy. The oh, new geez. economy. It is, man. Silicon Valley is such a such a scary worldview that uh, that's the other thing though that's interesting. Like because it's one thing if you're a high school teacher. But now you're teaching college, so that's a little bit of a different, uh, like, cultural cachet, I, I guess. Because, like, um, since it's higher education, I feel like maybe, like, there is, even though you guys don't get paid shit either, there's still an expectation that you get paid more. <laughs> but the other thing is just that, like, um, I don't know. I feel like, and maybe I'm just, like, trying to make something out of nothing, but I feel like there's like a veneration for academia as well from mm -hmm. like the upper class. Whereas like they hate high schools and they hate like public schools and shit like that, where, um, it, it's, it's just an interesting thing that like, ultimately, whether you're in high school or you're a professor, you still need to fucking have your kids trained by somebody and now everybody's freaking out that the schools are shut <laughs> you know <laughs> someone needs to take care of my kids <laughs> all they're doing is jerking off all day you know <laughs> yeah it is the most thankless kind of work um and there's a huge attrition rate for new teachers as well like i think like what's I attrition uh, like a huge number of teachers leave the field within their okay. first five years of working because they just face major burnout. Um, and I can totally see how that <laughs> happens. It's, you know, I know a lot of ex-teachers. Yeah. I, I know a lot of very bitter teachers, <laughs> <laughs> maybe myself being one of them. So, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. It's really, it's really thankless and challenging work that and yeah at the university level you know I always thought I would prefer to teach at a higher level but um like a you know quote-unquote higher level um but I don't know it's it, not necessarily so I'm growing to like appreciate teaching and learning with like younger students or younger younger learners they're mm. it's it's just like a, a less of a, it feels less like a transaction. Like I do feel like in the university, you know, a lot of students are so rightfully so like bitter and cynical about, you know, the circumstances of being in university of being treated like a customer and paying like massive fees for a service that they don't feel always like, you know, provides in the way that it should. Um, and as somebody working within that system as well, I feel like I do at sometimes get the brunt of that, even though it's, you know, I'm just another friggin' cog in this machine. Like I have no power here. Like I'm underpaid. Like I'm like beholden to the university administration and the faculty and all yeah. of these sorts of power structures. And um, I try to be like 
honest and real about that. And mm-hmm. I think that that helps, but there is, there are definitely certain expectations like within uh, teaching within a university context that you're, you don't have to deal with like in public school, for example. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I've come to like appreciate that uh, a little bit more um, after having this experience. Yeah. So you think you're not gonna, you're not gonna get your, um, what's it called? Tenure position. You're not going for that. <laughs> uh, I'm not banking on it. I think I would, be, <laughs> it would probably, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bank on that for sure, but I'm, I've always been more interested in, I'm just kind of selfish in this way, I guess, like doing my own projects and my own research. Like I'm really yeah, yeah. I'm at the university to like, pursue my own research and projects and um teaching uh and all of those things that come along with it are sort of like secondary to that to be honest like Mm. um ideally I would just like to be doing my my own stuff all the time um yeah yeah I'm not even even when it comes to art I'm really not interested too much in what's happening you know in the art milieu so to speak um I'm just like interested in what, what, I, what I'm doing. <laughs> so let's play a hypothetical game. That's fun and really not fair. Okay. 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 <laughs> let's say how you or I'm, I'm going off of how Epstein used to like have scientists all around him trying to get funding. <laughs> how evil a person <laughs> would you be willing to take funding from so that you never had to do anything other than, than research and put out papers? Oh, wow. I mean, it really mass murderer, like it, think... war criminal president. Yeah. I mean, isn't all of the money that's circulating <laughs> in some capacity, Funny side story, though. There was just... A- <laughs> I did get proposition once. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with, like, Elon Musk um, and uh-huh. his romantic partner, Grimes, Grimes, who is a Canadian musician. She's from British Columbia, but she, like, has ties to Montreal as well. Um, well, she just got a grant from a Canadian granting agency for musicians mm-hmm. uh, for almost a hundred thousand dollars, which That's is great. obscene. Like she's living in LA with Elon Musk, who is the second who just passed, who just passed Bill Gates. Yeah. He's the, the second richest per- man in the world. Yeah. Or something or. In yeah. The- yeah. It's Bezos, him and uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so she gets this money, and meanwhile, like, most artists and musicians that I know, like, who work in the service industry have lost, like, their their income, are not even able to pursue, like, yeah. their art and their practice right now, are, you know, like, in such a grave situation, and meanwhile, this, this funding agency doles out, like, 100k to rhymes it's just it's just wild like how all this stuff works and yeah it's why i have such a fraught relationship honestly with like art um yeah that's why i do this show because i hate it yeah Yeah. that's it i like i hate it i find it so 
like on one hand, like by the like, I think general public, I would say that like art doesn't get the credit that it deserves, but then within the like art world, art gets way too much credit. Um, yeah. And it like, I have like such a, such an issue with this sort of like nobility associated with like art as a profession, being an artist as well, as if it's like inherently useful or progressive or whatever. I think one of the things that I have a problem with is the relationship between like the purist and the market. Like there's a lot of people that, react to that world the broader shitty art world uh, and and then they the reaction to it is like oh i'm an artist i don't do branding you know and and stupid things like that where it's like eh, you're still playing the game dude like <laughs> you can, you're calling it by different it doesn't make it, it's like a, a way of elevating yourself even though you can't like i don't find that self-empowering you know, yeah. like, I, I think that that's just kind of self-defeatist in, in this really strange way. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I do. One of the things that is going back to that sociopath thing, my theory about sociopathy is it, it, uh, that dude like uh, Elon Musk is also the uh, like trolling people when they say that he was like that we could Bolivia for yeah. their fucking lithium and like. I don't know, man. That just seems like there's, you know, there's just no angle that you can present that to me where I'm like, I get it. You know, like mm-hmm. that's like Trumpian, you know? And, I, and that goes to sort of the thing of like, I don't think that there, I think there's a lot of people that are now going to swing their dick real big. Like, uh what's his name uh the uh the fucking biden and all of that like if you look at his cabinet selection and all that shit mm-hmm. it's just we are going to hurt people yeah. and 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 like the thing that blows my mind is that perspective of like we gotta protect americans <laughs> you know when like in reality they're just i don't know man the idea that the idea that they could do things to people and then turn around and do them to us. The the fact that that doesn't register to people is like terrifying to me. And I think that that's how a lot of evil gets done. I think that like, I don't know. I think, I, I, I think that there's just this like willingness to be blind to it. That is terrifying that like, you know, and, and, and it's coming for us all, uh, at least in the U S that hunger, man. When your fucking belly is empty, it's a, it's, it's been a while for me. But I, I, I've spent some days where I was like, oh my god, I can't fucking eat food for like the next two days, you know, or I, I don't have any money to eat food for like a day or two, and like this is not a day or two. This is, and this, these are people that have educations, you know. This is all that meritocracy myth is like fucking dying real hard and it's it you know like people that worked hard for their businesses and earn their businesses are fucked people that worked hard for their educations and uh now like you know several different industries don't exist anymore it's uh it's a wild time 
to uh i and i can't imagine what it's like to be a fucking student and like to be a teacher and and just sort of also be like i don't fucking know this is new guys <laughs> i have no frame of reference for this yeah well it's like easy to just admit that like i i find i get a lot of lenience from students because i'm so upfront about that like I don't present myself as yeah. like an expert or an authority or anything like that so I, I think that like that helps me get by <laughs> <laughs> um yeah well I think we can probably end on there uh it was really nice talking to you Alex Noel you got okay. it <laughs> not Noel and being in Quebec like People often assume that it's Noel, but yeah, one of my least favorite pronunciations of my name is the French one, which is Javier or Javier. But like, <laughs> yeah. I don't mind it in French, but like when Americans say it, it's Javier, and I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's what I sound like every time I speak French, which <laughs> really, <laughs> really makes it difficult for me to practice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything that you need to promote? No. Just your Instagram. Are you are you one? Just your Instagram. No, I don't promote. I'm social media is like sort of a a private domain for me. I'm. Oh, okay. Okay. The business of this sort of like social media promotion actually. (gasps) You made me feel like such a whore right now. (laughs) I do. well i'm javier at (laughs) or i'm at javier proenza uh anyway it was really nice talking to you i'm sure i'll talk to you again as at some point uh down the line because i definitely am committed to getting my thousand followers on uh, youtube so that i can start making advertisement for money from google it's my way of selling out without actually having to read ads you should follow my thing so that i have I can get up to eight, but I won't yeah. be mad at you I'll if you do don't my subscribe. Part. I'll do my part. You do your part? All right. Yeah. We're going to get there. And eventually, yeah. when I start making all that sweet ad money, I'm going to pay my guests. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can have me on again once I finish my PhD dissertation and have something yeah. to actually speak about. Really. Well, you should wait until the, the, you know, you should do that in between pandemics. Yeah. Okay. I'll see you in the next pandemic. <laughs> no i'm saying you should write it in the in between pandemics so you can go to uh, libraries i see i see yeah good strategy yeah uh and I, I love that we're already well we're definitely assuming another economic crash in 10 years that's like yeah. the new the new that's normal like how yeah. many have we seen I, in my lifetime i've seen several i don't know yeah. i'm not that old so. <laughs> all right it was a pleasure and i will talk to you soon definitely on instagram uh don't follow at all and uh yeah <laughs> in any capacity oh and uh, uh are you, uh what are your pronouns just to be sure they and them I use. they and them okay just because if i refer to alex noel ever so that i have them ready yeah have those okay. in your back pocket yeah yeah exactly <laughs> all right it was a pleasure talking to you Bye. Bye.